Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Poddleters. I hope you're doing well. I'm super excited for you to listen to this episode as it is with my good friend, Florence Given. She is an influencer, illustrator, and now author. Her first book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, is out now. And so we discuss how she came to be the woman that she is today, what inspired her to write this book, as well as delving a little bit deeper into some of the themes that she talks about, from boundaries to abusive relationships to holding yourself accountable as well as other people. I really love chatting to her as always and I hope that you do too. Don't forget to get a copy of Women Don't Owe You Pretty and as always please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps people to find the podcast. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to Adulting. Today I'm joined by Florence Given. Hello! <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for coming on. Finally, how oh my are God, you doing? Of course, babes. I'm good, thank you? you. Um, see, good. we're talking over each other because it's delayed. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm taking, lo- trying to take lots of rest. I'm going for bike rides, um, and I'm trying to be slow because I don't usually allow myself to be slow. And I think the current situation that we're all in is it's allowing me to rest a bit more Mm, you're so right actually I hadn't really thought about that but right at the beginning of lockdown we spoke about that because this isn't you're not ever used to resting you're always very much and especially I was supposed to be going on a book tour with my book so that would have this is the complete opposite of what I would have been what I would have been doing I would have been going around um the UK and potentially Europe doing a book tour so this is like the complete opposite of what I was supposed to be doing. So quickly, before we get into the chat, for people who don't know who you are and maybe aren't familiar with your work, could you give us an overview of Florence Given? Sure. So I'm 21 years old. I'm an artist, influencer, and author. I talk about my experiences in my artwork, um, which are ba- yeah, basically everything's pulled from my life. And then I read up about my experiences and learn about the psychology of my experiences and why those experiences happened to better understand myself and to pass on those lessons that I learned in my life to other people. And I usually do this through my art and my writing. Your platform for me has been instrumental in learning. And even though you're younger than me, it's never been something that has left me feeling like I can't be educated by you. So I was so excited to read your book when it came out. And it came out just over 10 days ago now, I think. And the reception has been incredible. Have you been overwhelmed? How are you feeling about it? I have been overwhelmed. Um, it's it makes me feel very uncomfortable in a way. I think this this book was like it was like birthing a child, and now that it's out there, other people can put their own perceptions on it, and it feels like I've cut out this huge vulnerable part of myself. And anyone who's an artist or anyone who exists online and in the public domain knows that when you put stuff out there and it's about your life 
you're opening up to critique. And that's just, um, that's part of the whole thing. It's, it's letting go of your art. It, it no longer becomes yours when you open it up to the public. So I think it's this feeling of being vulnerable, but also this amazing feeling of, wow, so many people have already told me that my work has caused them to reflect on some of their own toxic behaviors or spotting toxic behaviors in other people and how to maneuver these or even call them out to solve them. Um, it's It's been amazing. Yeah. There's a really beautiful bit in the book when you talk about this concept of how people project different things onto art. And then you say, and I realized suddenly that art the art never changes. The art always stays the same, but other people are able to draw different things from it, whether that's positive or negative. And yeah. that was from the passage about um, projection, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the thing. I think it's always good to consider other people's perspectives um, on your art, but the art stays the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your perception of it might have changed. Um, and you're allowed to be influenced by, um, you know, the context of where you're, where you're at in life or some people bring an entire different lived experience to the work that I'm making. So when they read it, it either won't make sense to them or they won't like it. And, um, yeah, that, but the art hasn't changed. My writing hasn't changed. So I think that is definitely, um, it does help to view it in that way that the, yeah, the art itself hasn't changed. If you liked it at one point and someone says they don't like it, the art hasn't changed just your perception of it has yeah that was such a great passage to read and I really I never thought about it like that we first met I think two or three years ago in a cafe and we spoke for hours just Uh talking about everything we'd learn all these things to do with Uh feminism in the world and then at the end right at the end before I was going home you told me you were 19 and I remember being like what (laughs) yeah how did you become this woman so young so shouldn't really use woke but what what was the catalyst (laughs) I'm learning all of this at such a, a young age um I think it was probably my high school experience um being in school um I didn't like the person I was becoming I was in this awful friendship group um with a group of girls and it was very very stereotypical of like kind of like a mean girl situation where there's like a there's a head girl and then she has her group of people who just do everything for her and I was in this friendship group with this group of girls and it was the most toxic environment it was like heightened internalized misogyny heightened in insecurity projection um being horrible to other women to make himself feel better all of this kind of stuff and then I was ousted from this clique um because the girl the kind of the head girl of like this clique um found out that I had an eating disorder and so I then became the person who everyone bullied and isolated and I think it was through that journey of being ousted from the group and having to be my own for a little bit um or at least in school I had lots of friends outside of school but in school going to school it was like this constant having to navigate situations where I was faced with other people's judgments of me and I had no one to help me because she kind of ruled the the say if you like like no if if she said you couldn't talk to anyone to this person you wouldn't talk to them and that was I was that person I was like the next victim so I think being on my own kind of forced me to be like, okay, well, I can either become so fucking upset about this or I can learn about my experiences and I can learn about why she's doing this to me, why I used to do this to other women and where this came from. And I read lots of books on self-help. I went outside of my comfort zone and I put myself in situations where it was uncomfortable. I used to go for walks on my own and I once laid in the middle of the field um, 
where all the girls in my school went and it was so fucking embarrassing but I was like if I can lie in the middle of this field and not care what these people think about me I can do anything and I think there was so much courage born in that moment because I think it was the first time that I denounced the need to be liked by all of these people and I in that kind of act of doing so I rejected their approval and it sounds so small and so minute but I still do little things like that today like even me going on a bike ride that's I could never have done that a year ago but because there's been less people on the streets now um during quarantine I've been able to go outside of my comfort zone and push through the anxiety that comes with being seen and being judged by others because I did have a lot of social anxiety. So I think there was a lot of pressure to um, conform in high school. My school was like, it was... It was hellish. It was like St. Trinian's. Everyone was trying to one-up one up each other. People would like throw flour over the year sevens and chuck food out the windows. It was it, the first few years of high school were absolutely wild. And then I think it was escaping that clique and deciding that I didn't like the person I was becoming. And that also I didn't have much of a choice after that because they started bullying me for my eating disorder anyway. Um it was, I think it was just this huge, this huge transition, which faced, encouraged me to face myself and the stuff that I was perpetuating, as well as acknowledging why they were doing what they were doing. And that's kind of when I discovered feminism, because I realized that a lot of this stuff was about one-upping each other with women. And I wrote this chapter in my book about internalized misogyny, and it's titled um, Refuse to Find Comfort in Other Women's Flaws. And I still do it today, you know? I think a lot of people do. And especially with the internet, it's it's this 24-7 accessible window into someone's life or pictures of them. And I think to what's the word to alleviate those feelings of insecurity we look to other people to make ourselves feel better about our own shortcomings and this this plays out in everything like even with you see white people right when we call people out for stuff that we may have recently stopped doing ourselves as though it's some kind of like self-righteous i know more than you and it's like hang on a minute you only learned about this thing two weeks ago you know and i think it's catching yourself sometimes in trying to um yeah, we're trying to cancel people for things you recently stopped doing yourself. I think that so many people will relate with those experiences that you went through at school. I think because of all the things that you talk about in your book and the way that young girls are conditioned and socialized to pit themselves against one another, one another to feel like they have to perform femininity, this bitchiness that we all experience and also partake in is part of that conditioning. Mm. And I think that so many, if not all women that I know, have been in these altercations with friends and you and I look, still look back on these experiences now and I think what the hell was I doing but it took me a lot longer than you did to get to that point and I remember doing the same painful self-introspection and doing the same sure. as you and looking things up online and being like why have I got this negative mindset why am I comparing myself constantly and it re it's really painful uh -huh. because it's it's we're all complicit in it and as you say it's like that growth of there's you, you repeat it in the book but it's where we can explain people's actions and we can understand them mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we should be like okay well we can excuse, excuse it them. yeah you can explain it but you can't that does not excuse it and I think um yeah like I can explain to death why my ex-boyfriend abused me I can explain and explain to death because I've done so much research bloody research on it you know I can research to death and explain to death about why this person hurt me because of their own psychology blah 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 blah, blah. but then you end up entrapping yourself in this kind of like well 
you can't um you, that does not ex- excuse that behavior you can explain you can ex- you can explain literally everything if you have the the knowledge of it right and i made after i escaped my abusive relationship and my emotionally abusive friendships with women i started to google this stuff so that i could better understand these situations to make sure that it didn't happen again but then you end up empathizing with your abuser and that's where the line gets a bit blurry and you need to you need to yeah i think i think there's definitely this habit of over empathizing with people who have hurt you that's really interesting. I, I mean, I hadn't even thought of it like that. There's so many instances when I've done that, especially post-romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I think, oh, well, you know, but then I guess I'm... Well, I must have done something to trigger that person to hurt me. And it's like, no, no one deserves abuse. But then do you believe, because I, I believe that everyone hopefully can change as well? Oh, God, absolutely. I think... I think pe- people can change, but you do not owe people um, your forget. Like I don't owe my ex boyfriend forgiveness because he abused me. Do you know what I mean? It's like you don't owe people your forgiveness. And I think there are some people who will. People make mistakes, but it's different when people are repetitively causing harm and refuse to change from those behaviors. That those are the kinds of people who just don't don't. You don't, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe them forgiveness. You don't owe them a place in your life. Um, I think it's, yeah, when things become repetitive, you, yeah, I, I don't think, you end up exhausting yourself. And that, that's what lands people in abusive relationships is um, constantly forgiving the repetitive abuse. And then you just end up making a trauma bond with this person and it's harder to get out of it, which is why my work focuses on encouraging women to spot these behaviors before they experience them or they perpetuate these behaviors themselves. Because, you know, you, everyone has their own hand in manipulation or being controlling or gaslighting. Um, even if it's unintentional, um, it's so good to learn these things so that you are not contributing towards a cycle of, um, emotional abuse and stuff that just makes people stuff that just isn't healthy behaviors to exhibit and again that that needs a lot of deep introspection and that's analyzing and unpacking your own insecurities that's why I go to therapy you know sometimes I realize I have feelings about women on the internet who I don't even know right I'll say I wrote this in my book I have feelings about women on the internet that I don't even know and I'm just like I just don't like her and then I really 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 deep it and I think about why, why do I feel this way? And it's because she reminds me of myself or she reminds me of a past version of myself that I can't forgive. And, and with the idea of abuse and not being able to get out of it, I've been in emotionally abusive and and once a physically abusive relationship as well. And the difficulty is once you're in that cycle, it is so hard to escape it. And I do really wish that this book had been around then because, um, there's there's this other idea that you know that we've got first of all women we have to be in relationships and so we have to find someone to be with and then when you're with someone it's mm-hmm. almost like the fear of being single is so much that we're willing to as you say in the book settle for crumbs and I do believe yeah. that this is changing and I think that you've been so instrumental in this movement towards recognizing how empowering it is to be single and also recognizing that we cannot be feminist women or men and then date people who Mm. abjectly disagree with our views and that's something that I've really started to think about more because I would quite often date men who didn't have any of my deals but I would be like oh well they're a man so they don't have to I I literally convinced myself so many times that 
it wasn't a problem that I was dating these assholes because it wasn't me and I was just shagging them you know like I think I totally skirted off um thinking that I had a part to play in enabling and being complicit in their views or in their behavior um my ex was horrific and he is one of my biggest red flags I wrote about in my book is you need to break up with someone if you feel embarrassed repeating the things that they say to you to your friends if you would never say to your friends oh my partner said this what do you think of this if you would never even bring up the stuff that your partner says because you're so embarrassed you need to get rid of this person because that means you're avoiding having to be accountable and make changes because if you're keeping information from someone it, yeah, it's because you're afraid of having to let go of that person and what that means for you. It means it means being single and it means choosing better for yourself. It means choosing something that is different and unknown. And I think, like you said about being single, a lot of the time we're afraid of not having anything to jump onto. And that's the whole point. You, you know, you've got to walk into your own arms and kind of just believe that you are going to be enough for yourself and have a support system. You know, if if you're not close with your family, you can have friends or, um, you know, and even if you don't have that, there are domestic helplines that can help people get housing or get spaces if they are in abusive relationships. And I think, yeah, there's, there's just so, there's so many layers to it, but I think it's understanding that being with, but I can't even there are certain cases, you know, where you don't, if you are in an abusive relationship, it's hard to, you just constantly excuse their behavior. That's the thing. So this is such a a tricky conversation because absolutely you should not be enabling someone's, um, racist, ableist, homophobic, or abusive behaviors. If you're in a relationship with that person, But also when you're in an abusive relationship, it's hard because you simply do not believe that you do not believe on on any level that you deserve better than this. And you have this manipulative trauma bond with this person. It's so hard. It's 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 not as um, easy as just, you know, letting go of someone. But I needed a friend just to tell me to dump him to just someone to just tell me floss, dump this fucking guy. We see what he's doing. and you deserve better. So that's kind of like the friend that I've become to thousands of people on social media now because I, I needed that person. Totally. And obviously, as you just said as well, like abusive relationships are so complex and there's lots of different layers to it. And there might be financial reasons or many layers why we people can't leave a relationship. Absolutely. But what I think you talk about so expertly is maybe perhaps not even on, on that deep of a level, but actually these more superficial relationships that we're starting to make where we Mm. feel especially as younger women obliged to entertain them and and if you can cut them off kind of that early on or before it's it spiraled into something that is unsalvageable then you're saving yourself even though it feels like I remember when I the two times when I've had really awful relationships the breakups were like I felt like I was dying and I felt like I, yeah. my world was ending. And the relationship I'm in now is really healthy and I can imagine our breakup, we would probably talk about it and it would be really sad, but it would just be, it w- shouldn't be that. Less chaotic. Yeah, it was like, 
awful. Like I think back to it now and it makes me feel like, mm. oh my God, it's it's so hard. And so many of us have been in these situations where we've been traumatized and we don't even recognize that 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 trauma has happened to us. Because Oh my God, it takes it takes so long to even acknowledge it because you're in this bubble and it's like you're surrounded by this abusive fog and it takes someone shining a light in the fog to like show you an alternative and be like come on, you deserve better than this. And and it takes us so long. It took me months to even call the relationship that I was in abusive because I was afraid of what that meant for him. And again, I was over-empathizing with my abuser. I didn't want to call him abusive, but he is. There's no other word for it. And I think um, it takes a long time, like you're saying, to register that. It also, what happened to me as well was when you are being gaslit and emotionally abused, you become quite an ugly person. And I, in one of my relationships, became this person that I didn't really like and it was impacting everything. So then I found it really hard to look back with clarity and kind of see where where I was exhibiting this toxic behavior and where I also was the victim. And it's sometimes wow, really yeah. hard to, how do you marry those two things of like, okay, so my behavior was problematic. And as you say, we can't excuse it, but I can see why. That was something I found really tricky. And even now, sometimes looking back. Yeah, I think there's, um, it's, it's, you can't have self-love without accountability. You know, it's, I think, but it's really tricky because abuse is never your fault because the whole point of a being, of being in an abusive relationship is that you are manipulated into thinking that that's what you deserve. That's what the person does. They don't want you to want better for yourself. They control you entirely to the point where you think that you are nothing without them. That's what kept me in mind for so long. And I refuse to, um, beat myself up anymore about, staying in that awful situation because I was in a trauma bond with this person. And if anyone's listening to this and doesn't know what a trauma bond is, I recently learned about it myself. I follow a lot of psychologists online and this has helped me so much. A trauma bond is not discussing trauma with your friends and bonding over a shared incident. A trauma bond is when you and your partner have something happen in the relationship. And this could be a traumatic experience. They, they might physically hurt you. They might deny your reality. They might do something irresponsible. They might hurt someone else. Whatever it is that happens in this relationship, if you forgive them that first time, the first time they do something, they've got you. They know that you will accept anything that they throw your way and then they keep doing it and the more that they do stuff that you forgive them for because you don't think you deserve better and you want to fix this person and you believe that this person will change for you or that you can have a part to play in their growth they will cling to that feeling um to keep to keep you going and to keep you in the relationship and they will sprinkle in the 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 stuff that you love in between of these acts of manipulation um to control you and to keep you there and that is a trauma bond and google it for the full explanation but learning about that that just it made me feel a lot more sane and a lot more validated in my experiences there's not I could never I could never blame a woman for being in an abusive relationship or saying why did you stay for so long because I fucking understand it I get so it's heartbreaking I get so many messages from people every day saying oh my God, I feel so like a bad person for staying in this abusive relationship. And if you actually say out, hearing other people say it, it reminds me how ridiculous it was that I ever thought that. I think when it's your situation, you can always kind of um, doubt your own feelings, you know, because you were gaslight and that the the effects of that stay for years. Um, And it takes therapy and deep 
looking at your mind to come out of that and to be able to stand in your reality. But I think hearing other women say to blame themselves for, for staying in relationships for so long, it makes me understand. I can see more clearly how ridiculous it is that I once also believed that. And also in the, I think it's towards the end of the book, but and I've spoken about this before, but the way that relationships are set up were until very recently designed to have this power imbalance where, as you mentioned in the book, mm. up until 1991, it was legal to rape your wife. There wasn't a such thing as raping mm-hmm. your wife because they were owned by the husband. Yes. So these things aren't are there by design. And what's happening is as we become more liberated um, as women and non-binary people, we are then starting to see these structures, but that they are there not by accident. And the, the men that carry on abusing women have also been conditioned and this is that weird kind of tug of war between having empathy and and also holding someone accountable Mm, there you go yeah because the patriarchy impacts everyone toxic masculinity is a product of the patriarchy which these men who treat women in such a way I imagine that it can't be like them recognizing their own internalized misogyny and whatever else would be really painful as it is for anyone and so I think the complexities that you talk about are really fascinating because it is about we have to take ownership as individuals um we can't be dependent on anyone else for our happiness but we we can actually protect ourselves with things like boundaries I think just going back to what you said then about toxic masculinity I absolutely know what you're saying and I think you'll agree with me that when I say this I as someone who has been abused by men I don't have time to think about how they are feeling while they're abusing me. And that is not something, I think it's a very important thing, but I think it's something, absolutely women need to question their standards that they hold men up to. But men are the, um, or at least white men anyway, um, are the oppressors of women. And um, it's, I don't have time to to sit and empathize because this is the thing I, I do this too often so I don't think I the reason I don't lead conversations on toxic masculinity is because I think it's it's once again centering men's feelings in a movement that is that should be dedicated to um releasing women and non-binary people from the damaging effects of toxic masculinity that is usually sexual assault and abuse so I just I, and I know you'll you'll probably agree with me on that I'm not sure no, I do agree. And it's 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 a really pertinent point because as you said about the centering thing, I guess that what the, the when I bring that up, when I find it really interesting is when I'm getting in a debate about feminism or, or white male privilege mm. and men love to bring up um, male suicide. So that's like, well, women yes. have it don't have it as bad and it's horrendous that male suicide rates are so high. But then the exploration mm. and, and explanation that we are all constrained by the patriarchy like it's not just women it, yeah and that I think it's um it, it, it I think I think absolutely agree with you but it's it my, my standing on this is to men is if the only time you bring up male suicide is when a woman is trying to call you out you don't give a fuck about male suicide you just hate women <laughs> so it's very true and it often is used as a means to just squash the argument Shut, yeah, to shut us up. So when you actually taught me about boundaries, I think it was you in Africa that first started really introducing that into my lexicon and making oh, it... Africa. Uh, I know. <laughs> and making it like a really <laughs> a viable option. And I've started to implement them mm. more, but it takes a lot of courage. What were the first boundaries that you started to set up? Because it's, it's something which you completely live by. Yes. Oh my God, it's like my religion. Because I've spent... It's also respecting other people's boundaries and respecting uh, and 
and stating my own. And I think, um, and also consent as well, because consent also goes outside the bedroom. Consent goes into so many other arenas. And I think learning the the language of consent and learning about boundaries helped me form better relationships with other people and made me realize that people don't owe me shit. No one owes me shit. And that I don't owe anyone else shit. And it's so liberating. And I think some of the first boundaries I set were with my online community about me not replying to DMs because I get so many a day. And this is, oh my God, I fucking love it when people tell me, you know, thank you so much. Your work means a lot to me. You know, like what could anyone else fucking ask for? It makes my day when people say that. Those aren't the kinds of DMs I'm referring to. I'm referring to the DMs from people um, offloading their trauma to me and all this heavy dumping that I receive in my DMs because people want me to give them free advice. So one of my first boundaries I set with my community, I think, was no advice in DMs. And as new people enter it all the time, people still disrespect it because they don't know it's a boundary, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that was one of my biggest boundaries. Um, I set boundaries with my friends all the time. I think I used to have this expectation that I had to be 24-7 accessible for my friends. You know, I used to think like if a friend wants to FaceTime me, that I had to absolutely do it instantly. But with my friends now and even yourself, um, if I don't want to do FaceTime, I'll say, okay, no, can we do this time? This works for me. And you do the same with me and Oni. You say, no, can we do tomorrow morning floss? And I'm like, that's absolutely fine. And then we do it tomorrow morning. And I think it's it's little boundaries like that and not feeling obligated to um constantly be there for your friends that was definitely something that I internalized from my high school relationships with women um not having any boundaries in that toxic friendship group and kind of living to please them to the point where I would be I would do anything for them I would anything to get their approval like that it was it was gold to me like the approval of this herd or like the 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 crowd that everyone wanted to be a part of, I would have done anything. And that included belittling and mocking other women to mask my own insecurities. And again, that's why I talk about internalized misogyny, because it's so important. And I think those kind of dynamics are boundaryless. You know, I, I don't think those, those dynamics where friends talk about each other or don't say no to each other. That's not a healthy environment to thrive. And I think women then take this into their relationships, you know, and I was a doormat to my ex-boyfriend. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you first started doing this with me, where you'd be like, I can't remember how, but you just say things like that. You're like, we can do them. Or I now love this because I get really anxious when someone just mm. FaceTimes me. And I it was the same. I used to just answer, but I wouldn't want to do it right then. Yeah. And it was you being like, um, okay, let's do this time. And that gave me the power. And actually makes me feel more relaxed when we talk because I don't feel like yeah. if I read your message, you're not going to be stressed if I don't reply. You'll just wait until oh, I'm fuck ready no. to reply. Also, another boundary is turning your red receipts off. 
off. My bread receipts have been off for about six months now. Um, and I keep them off because, oh my God, my life is just so much more free. I feel like, wow, I don't only want to reply. Um, and it's made my, all my friendships much less resentful because that's the thing. When you don't have boundaries, babe, you just end up resenting everyone in your life because you're overworked. And it's not anyone else's fault, but your own, because you constantly say yes to everything. And I think there's this overexhaustion that we kind of, for me, anyway, not going to speak for all women, but for me, there was almost this pride I had in being this overexhausted friend who was everybody needed stuff from. And there's absolutely no pride in being this doormat. You know, I thought I was, oh, anyone can come to me. And then I would moan about it and say, why does everyone use me? And it's because I never said no to, to any favors. In fact, I inserted myself so that people, you know, if someone didn't ask for help, they were just telling me their problems. I would give them shitloads of advice and then moan a couple of days later about how they drain me. That's so shit, you know? And it's, I think it's learning that you, yeah, just there's no point in resenting friends when you can just insert boundaries and you absolutely have every right to. This goes back to your one of your illustrations that I have that says, fill yourself up first, babe. And it's kind of in opposition to everything we're taught as women, which is what you were talking about, this idea that we have to be caregivers, this idea that we should be thoughtful. And it seemed really radical that we as women, actually, we have to put ourselves first. But this comes with anything. It makes It's like that oxygen mask analogy, like you can't help anyone else if your oxygen mask isn't on. And it seems absolutely wild that it's taken us so long to recognize that we deserve to look after ourselves before we look after anyone else and make sure that we've actually got the yeah. space to do that because I'm I'm the complete same as you I'd lay myself out for my friends and actually being a people pleaser is almost just as toxic as as anything else and that was something that I really was guilty of yes it's hard when you feel guilt for these things though, because again, it is that conditioning thing, which is why I love, we have these conversations all the time because it's so much more complicated <laughs> than right or wrong. It's really, really nuanced. When you're writing the book, were you, were you worried about how hard was it for you to write? I mean, I remember you writing it, but was that, were you concerned about not being able to get every bit across? Or do you feel like you picked this apart so much that you felt really comfortable in putting it forward in a way that explored all the angles? Oh my God. I mean, every chapter was like only a few pages long, but there were so many topics that I wanted to cover that hopefully people go on to research more in. And um, there's, yeah, regarding people pleasing and all of this kind of stuff, there are so many, I learn something new every day. I read my book and I'm like, it's a good book, but there are so many things that now I've learned, I would like to add on to an argument and say, also, this is um, a problem because of X. Or even in my um, chapters, I wish I could go, oh, this problem is harder for uh, fat women because of X. You know, it's like when I'm talking about my experiences, I can't talk for fat women. I can talk about my experience and then say, you know, my experience isn't the only experience being a thin cis white woman, and then kind of add on this is made harder for fat women or trans women because they face this as well. And then this contributes to X. And I think there's, but then you end up exhausting yourself. And I've, I've, I've done as much as I could to fit in all of that stuff. And it was just so many corrections along the way that I was making every day when I was learning new stuff. I was like, shit, I need to include this. Um, and yeah, I honestly, I just can't wait to write my next book. I think my next book would be um, more explorative in one particular subject. There's not, I can't cover everything. I care about so, infinite things, infinite topics, infinite discussions. And I think it's impossible to, for me to include everything. Like I'm one person, but 
I absolutely look back on my book and I'm like, fuck, I wish I included so many other points. I don't I wish you, I don't think you should feel like that because as you just said I think another thing that's so important especially in this moment that we're in right now where there's a lot of action and education going on we live in this collectivism world where everything's kind of available straight away and there's swipe up links to everything and you kind of have to take no authority in your learning whereas I think first of all you cover loads in the book but also there is that it's a springboard for more learning and I I've I didn't read when I went through that self-inspection thing someone actually asked me earlier when I posted your book they were like oh do you have any books on self-help or like getting out of getting a positive mindset and I was like no I didn't even look at that point to think about reading a book I just spent hours probably the same as you researching stuff online and so what what you've done amazingly is you've put forward all of this information in a really concise and beautiful way but as you say then we have to apply it to our own lives and research things a bit deeper to figure it out a bit more because these issues are so complex and no one could put that together in a book absolutely like every single thing that's ever happened yeah I think it's um also it's so good for other people to to be able to disagree with me you know I want people to look at this and go I can appreciate this but this does not apply to my life or I cannot apply this because of this circumstance I want people to be able to think critically you know and I question absolutely everything if I if I feel an emotion I think why am I feeling this is it them or is it you. Um, and I want people to be able to interact with my material or anything through a critical lens that asks whether th- this even should be applied. And you know, like we were saying earlier about dating people who don't match your beliefs, I thought I could do it if I was just shagging them. You know, I thought I could just date people um, if it was just casual. But then I realized I didn't even enjoy being with them because their values didn't align with mine and that they're a piece of shit and it's just not hot and I think you overlook this these things so many times because you want to believe that these people can change and you want you want to believe that um that the person who has continuously showed you that they do not care about you or the stuff that you care about uh, we like to think that we can we can grow and change people and i think there is there is an element of growing together in relationships and nourishing and supporting each other's growth but you cannot be responsible for someone's growth that person has to um pick up the the stuff themselves sure you can recommend them the book but they have to get the book and read the book themselves and i think that's with these chapters in my book being so small i hope that people read my chapter on um internalized misogyny and then do a whole journal session on it and even critique what i'm saying i don't agree with this because sometimes i feel like x or this doesn't apply to my experience or for people to um, talk about their own experiences with internalized misogyny or the chapter on, um, it, it, there's so much to reflect on in my book. And it's all of these points. I have, um, these conversations with my friends daily about the subjects in my book. And I go on to form my own opinions on them. And my opinions change all the time. You know, that's how human beings work. We, we, we have new information and then we change our opinions and then hopefully we change our behavior. And I think that's how that is how society is going to change. That's how these attitudes are going to change. And that's how we move on. We, we question and we interrogate ourselves and we come back with changed behavior. On the point of criticism and changed behavior, this is one of the most liberating things I've learned. And definitely through your work, I've, I've got better. And we actually have phone calls all the time about how, like, if we are criticized, like, how are we going to deal with this correctly and take accountability? And that's one of the most liberating things you can do, which I didn't think it was. I was such a defensive person mm. and I often would not be able to take 
um, criticism. And actually, once you stop centering yourself in someone else telling you that they're hurt, it's the most incredible thing because, as you say, you get that information, you accept what you did, and then you can grow. But for as long as you spend time unwilling to change, mm. you you will be stuck in the cycle and you will only elongate that amount of time. Because those things that I've done in my past that I cringe so much when I look back and think, oh my God, I was such a dick or like that was so bitchy or why did I do that? But at least now I know I've, I'm out of it, as painful as it is to look back. And with the knowledge, if you know that you can take criticism, it, it just means that you can learn to grow. Yes. I find that, I, I honestly think it's so important, that aspect of accountability. I love... Uh, I love being corrected. I don't think I could date someone who agreed. If, if oh my god, if I dated someone, oh, the thought of dating someone who agrees with everything I said, I'd hate it. You know, like all of my friends in my life hold me accountable. Like I, I ask my friend, I ask you, and I need to pull me up on stuff. Sometimes I'm like, does this sound okay? Is this weird? Let me show you the situation, and you will pull me up on things. I need people in my life to hold me accountable because I don't want to live a lie. I'm a very growth orientated, orient is it oriented or orientated? Anyway, I'm a very growth oriented person, and I, I hate the idea of people around me enabling toxic behavior that I'm exhibiting if I don't know I'm doing it, you know? And I want someone to call me out and to tell me, Floss, you can't say this anymore. Or, okay, but when you do this, I feel this way. This is how it makes me feel. And I think the um, the people I'm surrounded by now in my friendships, we have the most beautiful connections because we don't hide those feelings from each other anymore, you know? I think it's, it is always hard telling someone that they've hurt your feelings um, or telling someone that they need to change something, but you push through the discomfort. And so many times, so many times that you do this, people's responses really surprise you. I've had so many uncomfortable conversations with friends and, um, or even like people I'm dating and I've told them something made me uncomfortable and they've changed it and they've gone, you know what, that's fine. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Thanks for letting me know. And again, it's a boundary thing. And, um, yeah, I think it's such a beautiful thing to just lay out your truth, um, to someone and how you're feeling. Because else it will just turn into uh, passive aggressive behavior or, you know, you'll start talking about this person behind their back. And that's always the conversation that you really should just be having with the person because they might change the behavior. And if they don't, they can see the door. When you t when we talk about this, we, we've been framing it sometimes a lot to do with dating. But actually, I've been in positions as well where I fell out with loads of friends at school and it can be some one of the most crushing things ever. But with your friendships, I think one thing that is so important is actually implementing this and finding not just with dating but with friendships finding people who are alike because yeah. I know that lots of women feel this way right now they're like maybe I can't reach out to someone like how how can I call my friends into this conversation and you're allowed you're allowed to have those there's ways of having these conversations with your friends that aren't attacking yeah. and they're not accusing and to quote you again, you can't cancel someone for something you've just stopped, stopped doing yourself. It's really positive to want the people around you to grow and that this shouldn't be something, you shouldn't be worried about, um, you know, oh my God, I'm going to tread on someone's toes if I say something, I don't feel comfortable them speaking about this because that's just them showing you who they are if they can't then change that behavior. Yeah, I, th I think that I like to give people a chance to correct their behavior in my friendships. and um, But it, it depends on, on how this person responds to your uh, calling in. I think I like to call in my friends. I tell my friends, Hey, when you talk about this, it makes me feel this way. Um, it's nothing you've done wrong. It's just a trigger for me. Can you not say this anymore? Um, if they respond in a way that is shit, thank you so much for telling me this. I had no idea. That's how it made you feel. Don't even worry. It won't come up again. That is, that's all how that conflict needs to be. 
But I've had situations where it doesn't doesn't happen like that. And the person will get defensive. Um, but then maybe in a couple of days time, they apologize and say, shit, I'm fucking sorry. I, my, my ego is at play there. And I wasn't listening to you. That's not going to happen again. And I, I leave so much room for mistakes in my friendships. Um, and there, but there are some things where people are repetitively causing harm and you do that. And then you do have to cut them out. Um, but I, and I think it's about relinquishing the guilt over that, you know, because then you end up having these awful emotionally abusive friendships. And it's so funny because the, the way you speak and the way you write in your book is exactly how you are in real life. Like you genuinely will say that those things in that way. And it, I remember I sometimes find it jarring because some of my other friendships that I've had for years with different people, we don't communicate like that. And actually it's a really healthy communication mm. boundary that we aren't used to exercising. We don't tend to use this language. But the more that you familiarize yourself with it, the more the less anxious you feel. I don't have anxiety, but I've, as I'm getting older, I start to feel more anxious in situations. And I think right now as well, that's even more heightened. Mm. And when someone approaches a conversation and so for instance, you will always ask me, can I, hi, I'm just wondering, do you have space to talk about something right now? Don't worry if not. And the the freedom that that gives me of me thinking, oh my God, I don't have to say, yes, I can talk to you about this right now. Yeah, there's less resentment. And I think it's it's such a cool thing to have. And I think it's such an empowering thing. And all of this, it is a massive learning journey. And, and I've, again, I've said this like 10 times, but I've learned so much from you. And it's so fascinating to see how empowered you can become. But it doesn't mean that we are without faults. Absolutely. I'm still up, like, every day. Absolutely. Um, I have, I have learned, so you're saying you've learned a lot from me. I learned a lot from, um, other people's communication styles. I remember when I first started, when I came out and I first started dating women, I went on a date with this girl and it was very casual. And then she texted me a week later and said, Hey Floss, I just want to let you know, I don't think, I don't think this is going to work out. I don't think we can go on another date because I'm seeing someone and it's getting serious. Um, just what I'd let you know. Thanks for everything. Like best of luck. And that was the first time I had ever been given closure um, with a date. And it blew my mind. I was like, wow, I don't even feel, I don't even feel shit right now. You know, sure, my ego is going to take a little hit. <laughs> like everyone feels shit when they're, when someone doesn't want them or whatever. But the first time that someone had um, given me closure after a casual date and it, it completely blew my mind. And it also made me realize how low the fucking bar was for men, um, because men generally just don't do that. They will ghost you or whatever. Um, and after that, I was like, shit, that was amazing. I'm going to do that to any single person that I don't want to date anymore. And I have been doing that so many times last year. I would just text the person and say, hey, thank you so much for last night. But that's as far as I'd like, like it to go. I don't think we're very compatible. I like to give people closure because I like to receive closure. And there's no one else to hold me accountable for that. You know, these are these are the little steps that I have to take to um, to even be worthy of receiving it back you know I can't expect one thing from other people and then not be doing that myself so I always like to give closure to people I like to allow people um room to say no to me I think that's the thing that I like to do I like to create an environment where people feel safe to say no to me I don't want people ever to feel like they can't say no to me that is a toxic environment and it's not always one that you are guilty of perpetuating yourself you know sometimes people put put me on a pedestal and I'm in this weird position where they, they, they don't say their own desires. So that's very uncomfortable for me. Um, and I usually just don't involve myself in those kind of dynamics where someone has me on a pedestal because I also can't be vulnerable. I'm not allowed to make mistakes if someone has me on a pedestal and it's, it's not a good environment to thrive in. So you just kind of relieve that environment, you know? Um, 
I love, I just love, I love being in environments where I feel like I can say no and that the other person can also say no. I think that, that there's so much room to grow in those kinds of friendships and relationships. When I first heard the phrase safe space, I remember not really knowing what it meant. And as I familiarized myself with the things that you're talking about, like consent is so much more than just what happens in the bedroom. As you have spoken about, you know, we've got to be consenting to all the things that we're entering into. And that could be a new work relationship or a friendship or just anything has to feel like we're both as or however many people are willing and happy to be entering into this. But boundaries for people that don't have them can be triggering. And I put something up the other day about how I didn't want white women to respond in a certain way to something I'd said because I was happy it wasn't for us to say. And that can bring up lots of emotions for people who haven't explored this Mm. before. And it's... It's interesting because it is so the where you are right now is you've arrived at, and it's taken so much work. And I think that's the thing we need to consider is these things don't happen overnight. It really takes and it's painful. A lot of the things that I had to unlearn or recognize in myself was really painful to, to do, but it was so worthwhile. But it didn't happen overnight. Yes, it is uncomfortable and it takes a lot of shedding of skins. And I think there's a lot of discomfort with um growing we feel guilty for growing because we leave people behind and that's what i want i want to tell women is that you don't you should not feel guilty for leaving people behind because if a relationship requires you to stay down there to stay stagnant to stay um as a doormat without boundaries that was never a good relationship for you anyway if a relationship requires you to to be toxic in order for this relationship to sustain itself, if a relationship or a friendship requires you to be this shrunken version that is not allowed to explore, like, you know, their own identity, if you're not allowed to explore your own identity and change and evolve, then that was never a good uh, environment for you to begin with. And that's when I, you know, there's no such thing as a safe space. You know, it doesn't like really exist because everywhere has bias or uh, insecurities or projections or whatever it is, there's no such thing really as a safe space. But there are safer spaces. And I think that the, the safest spaces that I operate in now could be between me and my very close friends who feel like we can say no to each other, we can have uncomfortable conversations, and we allow each other to change. My friends now, including yourself, do not become attached to versions of me that they knew two years ago. And they know not to do that because I am constantly evolving. I'm changing all the time. Even my gender expression, it it changes every few months as I learn more about how much of it was performed for men and how much of it was performed because I actually liked it. You know, all of these things are evolving and I cannot be in a place where someone is attached to a version of me because then I cannot grow. And I think that is why it's been so amazing for me to be single for two years because I haven't had an external influence, you know, apart from patriarchy and apart from just living in the world as a woman. Um, there hasn't been this, this, this set of eyes on me making me feel guilty for changing. There's no one telling me, oh, that's not like you to do this because that there's no one, everyone in my life loves that I'm constantly evolving. And I think everyone deserves that. Yeah, it, it completely. And it can be it can be so frustrating when you feel like you are tied into this identity that you no longer... I've had it before where people that I haven't seen for years will bring up stuff as if it's like how I still act now. And it's like we have to allow... And I'm very allowing of change, but I think because I have changed so much and I have grown so much. And I do... I do give people that not necessarily you, but just generally, I always hope that everyone is able to access a newer, happier, 
version of themselves that allows them to be who they truly are. And I think the, the fundamental part of, of the thread that runs through all of your work is like, we can only do this for ourselves and no one is going to be able to do it for us. So we can't be occupying ourselves by projecting onto other people what they think they are or worrying too much. And we have to call people into the conversation. But fundamentally, every time something happens, we've got to kind of reflect back and be like, how do I deal with that situation? What can I take away from it and what can I learn yeah what kind of situations do you mean do you mean like situations of conflict or yeah I guess like sometimes there'll be something going on where it's not my place to comment on it okay. and sometimes my ego will, will want me to be like virtue signal maybe yeah okay sure okay oh absolutely I think I think as white women it's like we especially when we like dominate these spaces on the internet where we talk about feminism it's this reluctant it's this feeling like oh I should say something about this because um we're so used to people wanting to hear us and it's like oh everyone wants to hear what I have to say and again that's telling your ego no pun this is not this is not your fucking lane stop talking I've been corrected so many times um by black women on the internet to told to stay in my lane or told that I shouldn't be talking about um, cultural appropriation and that I should just be sharing other people's work. And I am so fucking grateful to those people because without those people correcting me or calling me in, um, I'd still be in my old ways of centering my emotions in an issue that isn't mine. And being called in, I had a friend um, who's still one of my best friends and she just, it was like a rat, I can't really remember what happened, but it was something where she just basically called me out on, on a behavior and I immediately got defensive. And then actually I thought about it and I'm still grateful to her to this day because it took so much love for her to be like, look, I actually just need you to realize that the way you're acting right now is just, it's just, mm. and I remember being like, oh my God. And even now to this day, I'm still like, oh my God, I love you so much for that because there've been people where I've just felt like I don't have the energy or the emotional capacity to 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 do that yes. and I think it take it really comes from a real place of love if a friend is willing to be like look I want to help you because it is it's helpful yeah and also it's it it's an act of them trying to preserve your relationship it's, it's absolutely an act of love and I think it, it means that they want to preserve the relationship with you and that they're not hold they're not willing to let this relationship fester into a breeding ground of resentment for every time that you have to be at the you know in in same spaces or you have to um you have to you know like texting people resentfully and all that kind of stuff i've had friendships like this like my whole life and i'm only just i think it's it's really odd because the thing with boundaries you know you'll say oh you're so good at this yeah I, i'm 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 okay at setting boundaries but I am a human being. I'm 21 and I'm still learning so fucking much. Like it's taken me 20, I think it was when I was about 20 years old that I learned the concept of boundaries fully. And I just became obsessed with it. You know, that's 20 years of being a doormat to other people. And then also probably overstepping other people's boundaries because I didn't know what they were. And I didn't know that it was a violation of someone's personal law. Like that's what your boundaries are. It's your own law. And people who cross them uh, that's a violation of your law. And I think if it's taken me 20 years of of practicing this uh, acting through subconscious mind or in survival mode, as some people call it, um, it's going to take so long to fully rinse it out my system. I, I just don't think that's even entirely possible. Um, and sometimes you, you can go the other, other way. You know, if, if you have this feeling of you've been hurt before, then you go the other way and you put all of these walls up and you don't let anybody in. And it's, and it's, and I've done that so many times. And it was only last year that I started reaching out to my friends for help. You know, I even feel, I even feel guilty and only asking you for help sometimes. And I think 
it's it, it takes a lot to to ask for help without feeling like you're being a burden or I don't know it's it's finding this middle ground where you respect yourself by asking for help but you also respect the other person and say do you have time to help me and I think that's that's where it becomes healthy. You know, you ask for help, but you ask the person if they have the space to help you. And of course, no one is expecting you to be perfect, or, but you do, you have arrived, you say 20 years, I'm 26 and it's taken me much longer, but there's, there, everything has a positive and negative side to it. So as you say, asking for help is really helpful, but I also used to be the kind of person where I would always make it about me and always be asking for help with my problems. And that's not helpful. So there's, there's, everyone's balance is slightly yes. different and yes that's so true there's no, it's not like that the act or whatever it is in of itself is necessarily negative it's always in how it's applied and how it's carried out and as you say it's always about responding and not reacting and that's a huge lesson which I think all of us need to really like concentrate on more because our natural instinct is just to react and go and actually if you sit with things and take a bit of time over them Mm -hmm. which is at odds to the world that we live in that's so instantaneous and we feel like everything's got to be oh my god it's so it's so quick it's it's this um I think that was what was interesting about doing the book it was a long-term gratification as opposed to an instant one that I'm used to with Instagram you know and only like we'll put something on Instagram and then we get response instantly I wrote this book um, the proposal, I wrote the proposal a year and a half ago and it came out two weeks ago. So that is like the longest time I've had to wait to get response on something. And that is why this whole thing just feels so weird. It feels so weird. And I think, I think it was a good practice of, um, delaying gratification. Um, but yeah, it's just what you were saying about instant gratification and, um, the instant quick reaction culture of social media, I I think that was when you react, you react from a place of your ego, which is the defensiveness, right? Because you cannot believe that this person is saying something that counteracts your reality, your ego, and the, the stories that you believe of yourself in your head. So when someone presents new information to you, we can have a habit to react. And that is why whenever there's a situation of conflict, I like to take 24 hours or however long it is maybe maybe it does need responding to immediately because it's I've never had this happen it's never imminent danger but um you know however long you feel necessary to respond once you've considered the person's perspective once you have empathized with their perspective but also stay true to your reality of the situation and I think yeah there's uh, reacting instead of responding, instead of reacting is something that I, again, it's just like accountability, just like setting boundaries, just like practicing consent. All of this stuff is like, is what I live by now because I realized how important it was. And just learning this language has been so fucking empowering because it's given me the tools to go Google stuff and to find out more information about these concepts. Well, I am just for one so grateful that you well, it's a shame that we all have to go through these traumas in order to come out the other side, but I really think that when we talk about we often have spoken about together about how like breakups are like a rebirth and I've felt the same way and I feel like your rebirth which you've now packaged up into a beautiful book will really help other women and men and non-binary people to access these same lessons which I think are so crucial to us all healing and growing and just becoming better humans. Um, so I am forever grateful for you. Thank you so much. Is there much. anything else you wish that we'd spoken about that we haven't? Um, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, that we could literally go on forever, but I don't think there's anything else. No, that's good. I've absolutely loved this chat. I think that it's been, it's been perfect. Yeah, thanks for having me, babes. 
Oh my God, you're so welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Apart from following you on Instagram, buying your book, is there anything else that you would like to direct people to do at this moment in time? Um, Google stuff that you don't understand. And I mean that in the the, the most loving way possible. It's it's again, like I said, I practice accountability and consent. Googling stuff is like part of my is part of my life. If if I don't understand something, I Google it. And if I see something, if I feel an emotion I'm uncomfortable with, I literally Google it to better understand myself. And I think that is something that I would recommend everybody does because there's nothing more amazing than understanding yourself and understanding your behaviors to kind of um to grow. Completely. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. I absolutely love Thanks, you. Um, and I'm sure we'll, I'll chat to you later. On. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.